You are listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. I apologize. I'm a little under the weather today, uh, so if I have a coughing fit, we'll just have an intermission, and uh, you'll like, you know, I'll go after you, um, and then we'll uh, we'll just you know we'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Um, man, we were back in our series in, in the book of Luke, and uh, we're at a, an incredibly familiar passage. Um, but I'm praying that God does something. Uh, unique through it. Yeah. And so uh, I'm coming in this morning with a lot of expectation, hoping that, that God reveals some things in our hearts. Um, hope, I'm hoping that, that some of you who, who are coming in uh, with the same conceptions, the same presuppositions as the, the man in the story, uh, the account this morning, I'm praying that God does a work in you. Um, so uh, have, you, have you ever met somebody who is incredibly good at asking questions? You know, like, that's their superpower. You know, like, I mean, some of us, you know, we ask the same three questions all the time. You know, hey, how are you? Uh, and they're like, fine, like, cool, all right. And what's your name? Got that one out of the way. Uh, where are you from? And then we're for, like, digging deep. You know, we got that one. And then after that, we're out. We're like, I don't know what that's, I don't know what else I need to know about you, bro. Like, it's just, that's all there, that's all I need, you know? Others of us are incredibly good at asking questions. And when I hang out with those people, I'm just so jealous of them because they're asking like sweet little questions or whatever, and they get with those laser questions in there, and I'm like, oh, I don't really know. I have to rethink my entire conception of myself based off of your small talk question. I mean, there's some people that are really good at that. Others of you um, are really bad at questions, and you ask a lot of dumb ones, right? You consistently find yourself being like, wow. I wish I hadn't have said that. And then you're like, you know, your teacher tells you like, you know, there's, there's, there's no dumb questions. Guess there are. Absolutely there are. She's just trying to make you feel better about yourself, all right? So there's some of them, I mean, some of them ask great questions, some of them ask terrible questions, and they're just dumb. Some of us, you know, sometimes we just find ourselves asking the wrong question. It's not necessarily dumb, it's just wrong. See, the questions that we ask have this uh, way of revealing a lot about us. You know, those of us who are asking just really intuitive, thoughtful questions, it reveals something about our concern for other people and how, you know, connected we want to be with them, right? The people who never ask any questions, it reveals that they really don't care that much about you. They just want to talk about themselves, right? Like, with the questions we ask, it reveals a lot about who we are. The questions that this guy is going to ask this morning are, are interesting. They are not dumb questions, but they are the wrong questions. They reveal some, some issues in his heart, some, some wrong presuppositions. He's going to come to Jesus, and he's going to ask some things, but they're just the wrong things to be. Like it, it doesn't work. The reality that Jesus is trying to show us, the reality, like the, 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 the view of the world, the view of salvation, the view of eternity that Jesus is trying to show and teach and lead people to, like this guy comes and asks this question that doesn't fit. The uncomfortable truth for a lot of us is that we ask the same kind of questions this man's going to ask. 
Probably a lot of you this morning. This morning like I used to, I mean, I, I was there too. I get it. Like, you're, the, the thoughts, the presuppositions that when you think about the gospel, when you think about Jesus, when you think about eternity, you're, you're asking the same kind of questions we're going to hear this guy ask. So I want to dive in. I want to examine the questions that he asks. And I want to pray that the Holy Spirit reveals what that says about the condition of our hearts. All right, so we've been studying through Luke. Uh, we're entering into a section um, that's very practical help for everyday life kind of things. It's going to last about four weeks. Excited about that. And so this, this morning, our story begins in Luke chapter uh, 10, verse 25. All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. you got a copy of God's Word. Um, we'd love for you to have that. I know it's on the screen and stuff for you, but it's always it's just a great idea to have that with you as well. All right, verse 25, it says this. It says, and behold, a lawyer, he stood up. To put him, that's Jesus, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so there's a crowd of people gathered around. This lawyer stands up, addresses Jesus in front of these people, kind of trying to put him to the test, trying to catch him on something, right? And so it says, Teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so it just, we'll get our characters sorted out here. I said lawyer in the text, like that's, that's not a lawyer like our kind of lawyer, right? They're, they're experts in the law, which in your Bible is the first five books of, of your Bible, all right? So they're experts in, in the law. And so probably a Pharisee is probably somebody who's, you know, a practicing Pharisee, but this text calls them a lawyer. So they would have been expert on the things that they need to do and the things that they're not supposed to do. There would have been like those kind of people. His focus would have been on obeying the law and then also making sure everybody else did as well, right? Some of you in the room are rule followers. You kind of get it, you know? Like some of us are not rule followers. That's not us, all right? And so this, that's, his, that's his focus. So his worldview, being a lawyer, being one focused on knowing the law, following the law, making sure other people follow the law, his focus would be on doing. Doing the right things, not doing the wrong things, which... His works, his behaviors, right? That's where his focus would be. His focus would be on following God's commands to the letter in order to be right with God. That seems kind of how like this is set up to be. Like if you, know, you got the law, if you follow the law, then you're good. And if you don't follow the law, then you're bad. So his focus, that's where it would be. And it would be really, really difficult for him to imagine a different way for the world to work. So even fixated on that. Like his, that's his worldview. That's, that's the, how he sees everything. Kind of be stuck in that. And I meet people a lot in our culture who are stuck in the exact same position, who are stuck with that same worldview. Many people, before they really, like, truly meet Jesus, imagine God holding this, like, massive set of scales. And on the one side is bad stuff. All right, and so God is the judge, right? He's got the scales and it's like all the bad things you do, God's like dropping, you know, little rocks over on the bad side. Probably the worst things you do, they are like a little bit bigger rocks. The tiny bad things you do, they're little pebbles or whatever, right? And over here on the good side, God's got a different kind of rock. And so the good things that you do, he's dropping pebbles and, you know, rocks and maybe some boulders every once in a while over on the good side. And the totality of your life is held up by the Lord and by this God that you believe exists. And he's balancing the scales. And at the end of your days, eternity is based on which way those scales tip. 
And if you can do enough good things, if you can get enough rocks on the good side, then that, that's going to tip the scales in your favor, and you're going to get to spend eternity in heaven with God. And if the scales tip the other way, and the bad outweighs the good, then you're going to spend eternity separated from God and be punished. A lot of people imagine the universe working that way. Even if they don't believe that a God exists, if what they know of him or they assume of him is that that's the way he uh, upholds, if he, if he did exist, that would be the way this works. A lot of people judge Christianity off that. That's what all Christians are just trying to do. We're just trying to get enough rocks over here on the good side to outweigh the bad. Some of you came in this room this morning and you're still trying to live like that. You're still trying to get enough good things. Some of you might be here this morning to put one more pebble on the good side. I went to church and it was good. What I did yesterday was bad. So hopefully those balance each other, right? There's a lot of problems with that. The main one is, is that it assumes that, uh, that, if, that if we're just a, a wee bit better than we are bad, then we're okay. The scales will tip, right? All we, all we have to do is just get over the line. If we're just a little bit better than we are worse, if we just lean that way just enough, the scales are going to tip and we're going to make it over the line. That's what we assume. However, the standard that we see in the Bible, the standard that we see Jesus upholding, is not being a little bit better than worse. It's being perfect or not perfect. He doesn't have a scale. He said the standard is perfection, perfectly following the law, or you don't. Already there's issues when you get to this guy and you just meet him. I mean, he says he stands up. He stands to put Jesus to the test, right? He already betrays his intentions. It's already there. He's not interested in learning. He's just testing Jesus's rightness. He's testing his theology. He wants to know what Jesus thinks. He's trying to catch him in something. I mean, like misspeaking or traversing the law at some point. He wants to, he's it's just trying to get this gotcha moment sort of thing. And he asks an interesting question. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? We're examining the questions that we ask and how those betray our hearts, right? So this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It assumes there's something he has to do, right? It fits his worldview. It fits his background. That fits this whole scale thing. Like that's assumed there's something he's got to do. There's a behavior, a standard to hit. How can I tip the scales? This man's a lawyer. He's an expert in the law, right? So Jesus just points him to the law, and he's like, all right, you're an expert in the law. What do you think? Which is great. Jesus doesn't answer him. He just puts it back on him, right? In verse 26, Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And so the man, this, he's familiar with it. He knows, knows it well. In verse 27, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He answers, well. He summarizes all of the law in one sentence. He's quoting from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Like, he's, he's right. He is correct. Jesus says that. He says to him, you've answered correctly. And then I imagine Jesus pausing, kind of smiling a little bit. And he says, do this, and you'll live. If you do that perfectly, yeah, man, that'd be enough. What do I have to, what do, I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, I don't know. 
what'd you tell me? He's like, just love God with all that I am, all of my heart, soul, mind, strength, every aspect of my life and being, just love him completely, like, you know, yeah. And then also, love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus is like, yeah, pull that off, man, and you are straight up holy. There's a problem with that, right? Like, he can't. Jesus' response is, is brilliant, and it's true. The man had answered correctly. Theologically, he was correct, but Jesus is not interested in his theology, not just what he like, knows intellectually. He's interested in his life. Theology is what we believe about God and how we can know him, right? That's what it is. Like theology, theology is our beliefs about God, how we can know him, but theology is meant to be applied, like theology is not meant to be this like theoretical thing where we like have these thoughts and, and, and ideas and theories about it and it doesn't have any practical implication on our life. That's bad theology. Bad theology is theorizing with no effect on one's life. So his theology is not wrong, but his heart is. The man asked what he had to do. Jesus answered. He's telling this lawyer, if you, if you want to take the what do I have to do route, if you want to take the tip the scales thing, man, like this is what you have to do. You have to live this out perfectly. Those of you who came in the room this morning with that kind of mindset of the tip the scales thing, you're feeling the weight of this right now. How in the world could you live that out perfectly? Love God perfectly. Love, love people perfectly. Always. Like, if you're looking to justify yourself, like, this is how you can pull it off. You, you could take that route. It is a viable, theoretical, you know, option. One way to live to, one way to obtain eternal life is by living out the law perfectly. Always. That's one path. It's just not one that anybody can do. Nobody can pull that off. Like loving God and loving my neighbor are great things. They're the two greatest commandments. They're incredible. Like I, I'm supposed to be aspiring to that, yes. But like these things I fail at constantly. Love God with all that I am, perfectly always. Love my neighbor as myself. Like, dude, I, the guy across the street from me named, is named Mark. He's great. I love Mark. Mark's a solid dude. I do not love Mark like I love my kids, all right? Like, don't tell him I said that. He's not at Oaks today. But, like, I don't love Mark as well as I love my kids. Going to confess it before you. <laughs> like, you know, I don't love my neighbor like I love myself or even my, my family, my kids. I, I don't. I like Mark. He's hilarious. But, like, that's not the same thing, Right? Heaven forbid if neighbor means like the person in front of me and like, like the car that can't merge. You know that person? You ever met them before? Now, if neighbor means that, I ain't ever once loved them a minute. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't love them at all. I got a different emotion, different, different uh, you know, thing going with that person. Why didn't they teach them to merge? Why didn't they ever teach that? Why, why are you trying to merge with your brakes? Is that how merging works? Use your gas pedal, sweetheart. I just... Heaven forbid, uh, neighbor means um, those people who just really grind your nerves. Like when they start talking, your skin starts crawling, and you're like, I have to leave the vicinity right now. Heaven forbid, like neighbor means them. Don't say a name. Like some of you are thinking a name, don't say the name. All right, that's not cool. We don't do that all right here, all right? But like, heaven forbid. 
Heaven forbid, like, it's, it's the one from, like, a different background that you aren't familiar with. And so, like, when you get in, in, in a conversation with them, you feel awkward. Love them as you love yourself. Well, the person who's really just going through a lot, they need a lot. They're, they're, they're draining. Heaven forbid, it's them. At some level, his manly guy, he seems to get it. So he asks a follow-up question, all right? And so, again, the questions we ask reveal things about us. So look at what he says. But he, the man, in 29, desiring to justify himself, he's, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It's a different question. You know, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a salvation question anymore. Now he's trying to figure out what, you know, he's trying to really hone this in. So he's like, he's desiring to justify himself. That's what it says, right? Verse 29. Desiring to justify himself. That means he's already recognized the problem with justifying self on like just following the law perfectly. So now he has something he needs to do. Now he needs to lower the bar a little bit. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. Love God with everything you got. Love love others as yourself. You're good to go. He's like, well, I'm going to do that. So let's just see how low I can get this. All right. And so what what do we actually mean by neighbor? He's trying to fudge in the law a little bit. He's trying to get the bar down. If he can like get a, a smaller definition of neighbor, maybe he can actually pull that off. I'm trying to find out just how far exactly do I have to go with this love your neighbor thing? How much is necessary to tip the scales? I often have these conversations with people like, um, where, where they phrase it differently, but they're essentially asking, uh, what, is the, what is the minimum I can do uh, and, and like God be happy with me. What is, what, how far can I take a behavior before it actually tips over into sin? How, what, what behaviors, like specifically now, pastor, which, which behaviors specifically uh, was God going to count as sin in my dating relationship? Is this sin? Because like, how, you know, if we're, I'm trying to find the line here and I'm going to walk right up against it. But how, 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 how far can I, how how far can I go down a path without, without actually crossing the line? When I, when I, maybe this is a conversation about um, relationships outside of, uh, of marriage. Like, you know, okay, can I have, can I have friendships? Great, great. How much time is appropriate? Like, is, is this okay? Is that okay? Like, you're pushing a line. Like, how, how far can I get? And it's, can still count myself as justified. With my finances, what's the minimum that I can do, Right? What's the, what's the, how can I, how can I, uh, like, be as close to the line as possible where, where God's still happy with me. I'm still on the, the good side of things and the way I'm managing my finances without actually going, like, hard in the paint. You know what I'm saying? With integrity issues. You know, with cheating in class. I guess it's a stupid quiz. Like, I mean, is it, is, does that really count? Like, Really? We do this a lot. We ask questions of trying to figure out how, how far we can lower the bar so we can justify ourselves. When you start looking for the line, that's what you're doing. When you start looking for the line, like that's what you're doing. You're trying to figure out how you can justify yourself. You're trying to bring down the standard of what holy means to somewhere in a vicinity that, that you can attain so that you can improve yourself to be just. You can tip the scales toward right while doing the minimum. And Jesus is not having it. 
All right, like that's, what, that's what the guy's trying to do here. Jesus sees through it, and Jesus is not having it. So he tells a parable, which every time Jesus tells a parable, people around him should, should watch out. So verse 30, Jesus leans back, and he replies. He's like, all right, look, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell in among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and left him there, leaving him half dead. All right, like, so this is, this is, there's a highway between Jerusalem and Jericho. People would have been familiar with it. There was a lot of, uh, this was a common occurrence, right? And so people would have been familiar with this. Like, yep, that happens. Verse 31 says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Jerusalem's up on a hill, and so going down, if that, that literally means down, that he's leaving Jerusalem, heading toward Jericho. And says, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32 says, so likewise, a, a Levite, right? So the priest is like the highest order of religious leaders, right? Levites just below them. So the highest order, you know, guy, he, he passes by the next guy, a little bit lower down on the totem pole. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. Now, Jesus doesn't specifically put a lawyer in the parable, but he might as well have. Like, these are the circles this guy ran in. If he's considered an expert on the law, if he's a Pharisee, like these are his friends. These are, he knows these kind of people by name. For us, uh, this would be like, uh, like Jesus telling him, like, hey, so a pastor. Pastor came down the road, saw this guy over in the ditch, half dead. Didn't, couldn't, couldn't be bothered with it for whatever reason, right? Thought he maybe had an alibi, an excuse, so he passed by on the other side. And next up, a huddle leader. You know, one of the huddle leaders at Oaks comes and they pass by. See the guy over in the ditch? Got a lot going on that day. Somebody else probably kind of come soon, so they justify it and they pass by on the other side and they keep walking. And then introduces a, a third character. The hearers, like, you know, you kind of expect, like, Jesus is going in sequence, right? So you expect the next one down would just be the next, you know, step down the kind of, you know, the, the pecking order there. And for, that, like for them, like they would have expected it to be a Jew. Not somebody with special training or something, but it was somebody in the people of God. That's the logical progression. But Jesus pulls a pin and throws a grenade, and this is what he says. But, verse 33 says, but um, <coughs> a Samaritan. Now, we, like, we don't get the cultural uh, issue here, and I'm going to try to explain it in a second. But like, when he said a Samaritan, there would have been audible gasps in the crowd. Like, uh-uh. I mean, you know, like that's, that's how that would happen. But a Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave him to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Jesus goes and he introduces a Samaritan as the righteous one, as the one that's upholding the intent of God's law. Now, we, we don't get how offensive this is. Like, there would have been, people would have been appalled at the idea. So the Pharisees, they had written their own laws about how to follow the law, which, okay, great, you know? wrote laws about how to follow laws. And in their law, they just like, yeah, you have to love others as yourself, um, 
but that's only for the, like, that's only for us. That's only for Jews. Samaritans, no. You don't have to love them like that, all right? You gotta, we're inwardly focused, we're gonna take care of us and ours, and those people out there, we do not have to love like that. And you're excused in that, like that's okay, you don't have to do that. There are enemies, and we hate them. So Jesus puts their enemies in the story. He didn't have to love Samaritans. It was religiously based racism and nationalism, like religiously supported racism. And Jesus just told a story that illustrated that the most religious, most lawful leaders are falling short of God's law, while the opposite kind of person, the person that they look down on, is actually the one fulfilling it. Jesus is firing shots at their racism. He's firing, firing shots at their elitism. He's firing shots at their legalism. Like he's just, he's hitting everybody all at the same time in this one story. He's showing that these people, these people trying to hold the scales, they're, 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 they're missing the point. Verse 36, Jesus stares at him, looks him in the eye, and he says, which of these three do you think, Mr. Lawyer, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Think of what Jesus just did. The man, he was trying to figure out who the neighbor, like who qualified as a neighbor, how far he had to take it, right? He's, he's asking, are they neighbors? Are they? Like he's, he's asking who qualifies as a neighbor. And Jesus turns the question and says, are you a neighbor? I don't care about them. I'm not asking, there's no bounds to this. I'm asking, are you neighboring people well? Are you loving people well? I'm not, I'm not interested in qualifying the extent of that and who's in bounds and out of bounds for that. He, the, the guy wanted to know who qualifies as a neighbor. Jesus asked him if he's being a neighbor. Beautiful. A Samaritan, this picture of care and concern and love. Like, no ulterior motivation, just compassion. Jesus is saying, look, are, are you loving all people, even those different from you, in the same way that God loves you? Are you doing this? Are you walking out your theology? It's a question for all of us. It's not just the lawyer, all right? Yeah, his, his motives are wrong. He's trying to figure out how to justify himself. But this, this question is like incredibly relevant for every Christian in the room. Jesus walked this out perfectly, Right? There wasn't a, a, a bounds, there wasn't a limit. Jesus didn't just love the people close to him and the people that, you know, whatever. Like he, he loved people like me and you. He, like this is what he did. Like he, he walked this out perfectly. He left heaven and came to earth to die for jacked up people like me. Beaten up, broken, half dead, heading toward death. He came for us and picked us up, restored us, forgave us, Set us back on our feet. Paid for our price on the cross. Like paid for our, like the wrath that I had earned on the cross. Went to the grave. Pay, the, pay that punishment. Rose from the grave three days later so that I could have eternal life. Paved the way for that. Jesus walked this out perfectly. And so Jesus is basically asking me and you as we come to this text of like, are you loving people the way that God has loved you? Christians in the room, like, are you loving all people in the way that Christ has loved you? I just want to ask you, like, let the, if Christians in the room, like, let the Spirit search your heart and show you, like, any name, any group, any people, 
whom you are, are not loving like Christ loved you, like somehow you have like, justified it in your mind that they are outside of, of the extent of who you need to love well. Let the Spirit search your heart on that. Is anybody outside of that category for you? And then prayerfully, like, consider what Christ's love would compel you to do. On this side of the cross, we're compelled by the love of Christ who has shown to us like broken, sinful, disobedient, like wretches. Christ loved perfectly. What does that love compel me to do with that person over there? The man had no choice but to answer like with the obvious response. And so for 37, he said, I, the one who showed him mercy. Didn't say the Samaritan. Couldn't bring himself to say it. Said the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Jesus brings it back to the initial question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Man has answered this theological accuracy of loving God with everything he's got, loving other people as I am. And he's like, if you walk this out perfectly, man, then yeah, you'd be holy. But what Jesus is really doing is just pointing out how far he falls short of the standard. When we come to the word of God, that's what happens with us. We see the holiness, the perfection of the Lord. We see the, 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 the standard is like the perfect, the righteousness of Jesus. And we find ourselves falling short of that standard. And have to come face to face with that, that there is no scale. There is either perfect or not. And I find myself in the category of not, along with the rest of you. You can't pull it off. That's what Jesus has shown this man is like, you can't do this on your own. If you're here this morning and like you came with the idea that you have to be good enough to earn your way to eternal life, that if you can just get the t scale to tip towards good by the end of your life, then, then, then God's going to be happy with you and he's going to welcome you into heaven or something because you are good enough. That doesn't work. You're not good enough. It's not a scale. It's just a bar and you're under it and you can't claw your way back on top. You're asking the wrong question. Romans 7 says that all the law does, all rules do, is expose the depths of our sin. Just how messed up we actually are. This guy got a lesson on the law and found himself coming up short. So the better question, the right question, isn't how can I do enough? The right question is, who will rescue me? Having not done enough, having been completely unable to do enough, who will rescue me? Jesus paints a picture of like perfectly following the law, loving neighbor yourself. Just so happens that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law, did everything the good Samaritan did and more, but not for some stranger, something he did it for you. Walked out the law perfectly, actually was holy, and then like offered himself as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for us. He chose to take mercy on you. He didn't ask you to be better. He didn't ask you to buck up. He didn't, he didn't ask anything. He just came and picked you up, brushed you off, restored you, forgave you. Christians in the room, like, that's our story. If you're not a Christian in the room yet, you're still doing the scale thing, or, like, you're not even sure God's there, right? This is what we believe. Not that, that God's asking of us to somehow find some discipline inside of ourselves to follow all the rules perfectly. He's just saying, like, I know you couldn't do it, so I came and did it for you. I paid the price that you could never pay. I've offered you forgiveness. I've offered you eternal life as a gift. You can't earn it. All you can do is accept it. 
To walk away from the scale and saying, listen, the scale's tipped to, to terrible. Like, I, I'm never going to, it's not a thing I can fix. I need to be rescued. The right question isn't, how can I do enough? The right question is, how can I be rescued? And if you haven't been rescued this morning, the, you can't. You don't have to clean yourself up. You're not going to, like, brush yourself off. You're not, like, you're half dead in the ditch. What are you going to do about it? This morning, will you let Jesus rescue you? forgive you, redeem you? Will you stop trying to earn your way? Like, it's not going to work. Will you just allow yourself to be rescued? Christians in the room, we have to wrestle with the, with the, the parable. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But not out of some legalism, not out of some uh, obligation. We're just trying to love people the way that Jesus loved us. All we have to do is just reflect the love that he showed us to the people around us. It's not going to earn us any credit on a scale or something. We're just trying to live as people who have been changed by grace, who have been changed by compassion and mercy of the Lord. And we're just going to try to extend that to the people. We won't do it perfectly. But we can. We can, we can love like Christ loved us. We can make that choice day in, day out. We can step across lines that divide our culture of race and ideology and geology. We can say, I'm going to love people well the same way that Christ loved me. The people that are difficult, the people that are a little bit draining sometimes, the people that just grind my gears and, you know, like, I may not spend every waking moment with them, but I'm going to try to love them well the way that Christ loved me. The people that have offended us, the people that have hurt us, the people that have come against you. We are those people to Jesus. Loved us anyway. So here's some questions I hope that you're asking this morning. Our band's going to come, and there's, there's three questions I hope you're asking. The first question is this. Am I trying to be right in my own eyes, or am I trusting in Jesus, his righteousness? I answer that. Like in just your concept of the world, like your worldview, are you trying to be right in your own eyes? Like follow all the rules, get it all done. Or are you trusting in Christ? his righteousness, his rescue. You're still trying to earn it yourself. I just want to tell you plainly, like, you're not a Christian. A Christian is someone who's just fallen back in the mercy and grace and love of Jesus, allowed him to rescue you, all right? If you came in with a scale mentality and you think that's the way the world works, I'm telling you by the authority of God's word, like that, that means you're not following Jesus, you're following rules. This morning, like you can stop doing that. You can stop chasing the scale and you can just fall back into the mercy and love of Jesus. Let him rescue you. Let him forgive you. Are you trying to be right in your own eyes or are you trusting Christ? That question is, are you a follower of Jesus or not? Second question is this, am I being the neighbor that Christ's love compels me to be? If you're a Christian in the room, are you being the neighbor that Christ's love compels you to be? Are there some names or some people like, oh, not to earn your salvation or something, but just in reflecting the love of Christ, are there some people? But you're not loving the way that Christ's love compels you to. Right now is an opportunity for you to pray about that. Confess that to the Lord and figure out what, how to move forward out of that. And last, are there some cultural dividing lines that Christ's love calls me to cross? There's some dividing lines that like the, the love of Christ compels you to cross, to love people well, 
point them to truth, not abdicate the truth, but like with love and compassion. I love well as best you can. There's action steps for all of us in the room. There's those of us in the room who are Christians, we're wrestling with, are we neighboring? Am I being a neighbor? Those of us in the room who aren't Christians yet, you're wrestling with, am I willing to give up the scales and just be rescued? Jesus left heaven to come to earth to pick up your half dead self on the side of the road, put you back together and set you free. Would you say yes to Jesus this morning? And if you have, would you extend that same love to somebody around you this week? Our next step team is gonna be back there in the back corner. They're there to pray with you, try to answer some questions for you. They don't have it all walked out perfectly either. If you wanna go back to the next steps and say, listen, hey, I, I, I've, been, I've been doing the scale thing. Can we talk about that? They would love to sit down with you and talk about that. If you wanna go back and confess and say, listen, there's some, there's some people, this person that I've not been loving well, I've been avoiding, like, I, I feel like God's calling me to step up and do some work there. Like, go, go tell them about that. There's something powerful about just speaking those things to people. Those of you in the room who are wrestling with whether you're gonna trust Jesus this morning, that's not something you need to do by yourself. It's meant to be done in community. Slip out of your seat when our band begins to play. Make your way back to next steps. Let somebody help you. Somebody answer some questions for you and back you up. Are you trying to be right in your own eyes or are you trusting in Jesus? I wanna pray for you. Father, For those of us in the room, God, we're so grateful that you've set us free from this constant striving to be enough. And instead, like you, you just came and were enough for us. You just loved us perfectly before we could even ask. Knowing we wouldn't deserve it, knowing we couldn't earn it. So for those of us in the room that are believers already, God, we, we're just incredibly grateful you've rescued us, set us free, that you found us on the side of our road, picked us up. We want to love people like that. Lord, help us. We won't do it perfectly, but we want to love people the way that you love us. Convict us, move us to action. You got my, my friends in the room who came in this morning trying to balance the scales, trying to do enough. I pray that you'd set them free from that from that striving, from that effort, from that knowing that they're never gonna do enough. God, I pray this morning instead, by your spirit that you would draw them to yourself, that they would let you rescue them. I pray for all my friends in the room who know that's them, who know they need to make that choice. I pray that you would give them boldness beyond themselves to go talk with a friend, go talk to somebody at Next Steps and be rescued this morning. God, move during this time. Move us to response. Moves to action. People not with this great theology or something, people of action. We love you. Your son's name, pray. Amen. Why don't you stay with us?